0: It was 1980. I was 18 years old. I got to vote in my very first election. I was excited. Those of you who lived back then might remember it was Jimmy Carter versus Ronald Reagan. And I remember the thrill of being able to get my my paper and walking and punching our place. We had to punch out the, the votes. Well, unfortunately, a lot of elections have come and gone since then. And now we're facing one that in my lifetime, from my perspective, I've never seen so much polarization, so much struggle, so much... um, turmoil i've seen friends become enemies i have read people making impassioned pleas one way or the other for who they want to vote for and today i'm not going to talk about who you should vote for but i i my mind has been drawn to another election It was just as controversial. In fact, it was bloody. It was an election that happened many, many years ago. It is found in the book of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, chapter 13. And together, the nation of Israel had been split between the house of Saul and the house of David. And Saul's people finally. Had had lost, they had lost lives, they had lost in their direction of the nation. And the nation was coming together to pick a leader. And in First Chronicles chapter thirteen, or excuse me, chapter twelve, verse thirty two, it says this of Issachar men. Who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do? Two hundred chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. Did you catch that one phrase? Men who had understanding of the times. I'd like to challenge us as believers. I'd like—I'm I, I, talking heart to heart here as your shepherd. I'm talking heart to heart as believer to believer. We need to be people who understand the times. We need to know what's going on. We need to understand our culture. We need to understand our world. Um, one of my favorite writers is a guy by the name of Tim Keller. And Tim has made a, a ministry of understanding the times. And one of the things, when you read his writings, he has said this, understand that in our culture there has been a dramatic shift. We now live in the first non-Christian culture that is in response to and rejection of Christianity. The rejection has permeated every aspect of our world. It's permeated our education, our politics, our ethics, our media, our entertainment. And here's what the philosophy is. Number one, the very idea that you think you have truth is to be rejected. In a post-Christian culture, we need to be pulled away from this idea because if we believe that there is truth we are now not all free to live the life we want to live and that's what this post-christian culture is saying you can't have truth the meaning of life in this culture is to get rid of the idea that there's any kind of overarching moral norms or absolute and feel free to live any way you want to live There are four key themes that are advanced in this. Number one, the identity narrative. you got to be true to yourself above everything else. Number two, the freedom narrative. I should be free to live any way I want as long as I don't believe I'm harming anyone else. The happiness narrative. My happiness is more important than anything else. And the morality narrative, which argues no one has the right to tell anyone else what is right for him or her. Now, from a biblical standpoint, we know that every one of those narratives, though they sound good to the ear and they sound good to the emotions, is deeply contrary to the idea of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. To be a disciple, you must deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. The Bible doesn't tell us blessed are those who hunger and thirst after blessing. It says blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness more than blessing. So if you aim for righteousness, you'll get blessedness. Aim for blessedness, you'll get neither. So these are the... Our antithesis of what we as believers hold true in a culture that has rejected it. You see, our culture has embraced the idea that we can judge God and we can judge his word. We decide what we want to keep and we decide what we want to throw away. This deadly disease that has entered humanity is the idea that God is subject and what he has said is subject to our judgment. Well, how do we get here? How do we get into this time? I think 2 Timothy 3 says it it, it perfectly. You see, we didn't get here overnight. We have been constantly as a culture, as a people pursuing a path not toward God, but away from Him. And we have resulted in what 2 Timothy 3 says. We are a people who are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power thereof. So what does that mean for you and I as believers? It means that in this day of uncertainty, in this day in which we say, "I, I don't know what's happening, We need to take the second part of that phrase. It said that they also not only understood the times, but they knew what Israel was to do. And in our day, I would paraphrase this, what we as people of the church should do. And the first thing is I want you to do this. Number one, I want you to remember. I want you to remember that our Heavenly Father is in control. His seat is not up for election. He is king, he is Lord, and he is complete control of anything that has to do with time or space. Nothing will happen our nation that will cause him surprise and nothing will be beyond his reach. Even the king's hand, even the king's heart will be in his hand and it will be like rivers of water that he will turn as he sees fit. In his providence, it says he raises up leaders and pushes them aside. Even the most arrogant leader of history, Nebuchadnezzar said this in Daniel 4, 17. The most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. Paul says centuries later this there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God friends there has been a lot of conflict that has arisen between believers on how to vote for this in this election and while we must remember that our privileged participation in this election process is vital, in the end, it is our Heavenly Father who is the one who raises up leader and puts them down. We must remember, secondly, that you and I are pilgrims in this land. This country is not our final home. But while we are here, we are to live as a blessing to our country. In Jeremiah chapter 29, the prophet Jeremiah writes this. You see, the people were were pulled into Babylon and they were going to be there for 70 years, roughly a lifetime. They were to be pilgrims in a land that truly wasn't theirs. Doesn't that sound familiar? We are people who are a pilgrim. We are only here for 70, 80, 90 years. Maybe if we're lucky, 100, 105. or as short as just moments. We are just pilgrims. This is not our final home. But while we are here, we are called to be people a blessing to our land. Listen to what he says. In verse 7 of Jeremiah 29, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. They were going to go to a land that they are taken forcibly. They are going to be under Nebuchadnezzar. They are going to be taught things they weren't to be taught they were going to do things they weren't going to do but he says instead of being there and saying I'm not going to be part of this I'm not I'm just going to pull out and I'm going to hide he says you need to live as a blessing you and I as believers are called to live as a blessing to our country We are called to live as a blessing in our community. We are called to live as a blessing to our neighbors. We are called to live a blessing to those whom with we work. We are to be the light of Jesus Christ. And we hold unto our land with open hands, knowing that our Father is in control. So live as a blessing. Well, what does a blessing look like? blessing looks like this. We keep first things first. We understand that politics are not the Gospel. Politics are politics and the Gospel is the Gospel. And the Gospel ultimately is the only thing that brings change. Two, we live intentionally as a blessing to our sphere of influence. We seek out to be people a blessing to those around us. Number three, We participate in our processes. We have the privilege of voting. We have the privilege of running and serving in offices. I'm I'm very thankful that some of you have taken that on, and some of you are running for offices. I am so thankful for you. But we take advantage of it. It's important. You say, but but what if who I vote for doesn't get elected? That doesn't matter. What matters is that you followed the Lord in being a person of blessing. Well, how do I vote, Pastor Greg? You vote in accordance to your spirit-influenced conscience. You do not violate that conscience which the Holy Spirit has influenced within you. Now listen to what I have to say. This assumes that you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit's counsel on whether how to vote or what to vote but it also assumes that there are other conscientious people who are leaning into the wisdom of God's Spirit, who are shaped by the counsel of God's Word. And this describes most of you here. Uh, when I sat down to prepare this, you, you all know I have a thing called Silly Putty. And what I do is I have to give this sermon on Thursday to a group of men uh, in, in our church. And we sat down and we, we, we talked with a spirit of brotherhood over the political landscape. And guess what? We didn't agree. We disagreed with each other. And we disagreed based on our heartfelt understanding of the Word of God. We dealt dealt with this disagreement underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. We granted each other the ability to vote according to the conscience as led and shaped by the Holy Spirit. I want you to remember this, brothers and sisters, that this election will come and go, but our brotherhood and sisterhood as followers of Jesus Christ must always supersede politics. We are not to break fellowship over politics. But we are to love one another and to understand that that I may follow Jesus and you may follow Jesus and there may be a few things that, that we may respectfully disagree on. In fact, across the page from Romans 13 is Romans 14. And in Romans 14, it tells us that we are to be people who do not violate our conscience. But we are to be people who have a Holy Spirit placed conscience that will allow us to respond. And if we vote different than what God has put upon our heart to do, just so we can please someone else. then we have condemned ourselves. A vote for one or the other candidate may be a poorly cast vote. It may be one that lacks wisdom, but it is not inherently sinful, friends. Particularly for the person who is working in good faith before his or her Heavenly Father. We need to be a people to blesses our world by honoring those who God places over us. Romans 13 tells us, pay all to all what is owed. Respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except for love each other. And for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. I think how we respond after our election will be the true test of our faith in Jesus Christ. In our republic, we have the privilege of being political activists we can cast ballots we can petition legislators and it's all wonderful yet in the end we always must give way to honor and respect i love what first peter 2 says on this matter show proper respect to everyone love the family of believers fear god honor the emperor How can we be a blessing? We need to do it this way. We need to pray. 1 Timothy chapter 2 puts it this way. I urge then, first of all, that all petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We are to pray for our leaders. We are to pray for those that God allows the privilege of leading us. We are to pray that they become followers of Jesus Christ. We are to pray for their salvation. We are to pray for Him to open the doors for the Gospel to go out. We are to pray. Now, I know there's been some who have said, and I've seen it on on Facebook, but Pastor Greg, if this candidate or that candidate gets in office, we could have persecution again. I want you not to be afraid of that. Don't be afraid. For 350 years, God has given us a bubble here of no persecution. That is unheard of. Around the world, our brothers and sisters have been persecuted. They have gone through hard times. You know what, you know what happens? When it purifies the church. Those that are truly His follow secondly it strengthens believers you stand because you truly believe i had the privilege of traveling with a guy by the name of georgie vince georgie was a russian pastor who was thrown into siberia he struggled for the gospel he suffered for the gospel and ronald reagan helped get him to the united states and so i was driving him around and he was telling a story after story after story and he says i want to tell you about one of our bible studies I said, okay, well, I'm all ears, Pastor Vince." He goes, this is what what happened. He goes, we were all meeting in this little house to study God's Word. And he goes, the doors burst open and there were two men in uniform with their machine guns. And they pointed him at us. And they said this, "If, if you're not really a follower of Jesus Christ, you can get up and leave without any consequence. He said several got up and quietly made their way out toward the door. They put the guns and they pointed them at us and they said, is there anyone else? So you're all going to stay, huh? Yes. They put down their guns. They said, good, now that we got rid of the phonies, let's get down to Bible study. I promise we won't be doing that in our Bible (laughs) studies. I could see the girls' group. No. <laughs> it purifies the church. Don't be afraid. Because even if persecution were to come, our God is on the throne. And this earth isn't our home. But while we're here, We are to be the greatest blessing we can be to our country, to our community, to our friends and family. Amen? Amen. Amen.